Hello, I'm John Donvan. Welcome to Intelligence Squared U.S. As a city upon a hill, a scriptural metaphor that was beloved by both John F. Kennedy and Ronald Reagan to describe this project called America. But at various times, and this is one of them, we have heard, heard it said that the city upon a hill is actually going downhill. And in a time when the middle class is shrinking and when events overseas are not going to, according to American wishes and plans, that question comes up again. And that question is, has America peaked? Or is that all just a lot of chicken little stuff? Well, that sounds like the makings of a debate. So let's have it. Yes or no to this statement. Declinists be damned. Bet on America. A debate from Intelligence Squared U.S. And this is our 100th debate. We're at the Kaufman Music Center in New York City. We have four superbly qualified debaters. Two of them are Americans and two of them are honored guests from other lands to argue for and against this motion, decline us be damned, bet on America. As always, our debate goes in three rounds and then our live audience here in New York votes to choose the winner and only one side wins. Let's meet the team arguing for the motion, arguing to bet on America. Please, ladies and gentlemen, let's first welcome Joseph Jaffe. Joseph Jaffe, you are the publisher and editor of the German uh, weekly uh, Die Zeit, and you are a senior fellow at Stanford. You grew up in Cold War West Berlin, but in 1961, you ended up in Grand Rapids, Michigan, and you went to high school there. Uh, and we want to know, does that have something to do with your quite favorable view of the United States? Absolutely. Uh, first of all, because it was a hot shower every day, which I wasn't used to in Berlin, uh, second, uh, root beer floats, <laughs> 15 cent hamburgers, and 28 flavors at Baskin Robbins. Oh, what more could you want? Ladies and gentlemen, welcome the pro American Joseph Jaffe. And Joseph, who is your debating partner tonight? Well, don't you know his name? I do. <laughs> I don't know how to pronounce it. It's Peter, that's easy. Peter Zion, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to our stage. Peter, you're also arguing for the motion, decline us, be damned, bet on America. You're a geopolitical strategist. Um, you helped launch the global intelligence uh, company Stratfor, Stratfor. And you also wrote the book that I do have, The Accidental Superpower, that superpower being this one, the United States. And in your introduction, um, you clarified that this book is not about what should happen, but what will happen. Does that mean you're really saying that maybe the U.S. does not deserve its place at the top? Better lucky than good. <laughs> okay, that's the team arguing for the motion. Bet on America. And the motion has opponents as well, arguing not to bet on America. Decline us, be damned. Two debaters. First, let's please welcome Krista Freeland. Krista, interesting career and recent career move. You're a journalist. Uh, you have worked as U.S. managing editor of the Financial Times. Uh, but in 2013, you left journalism to become a member of parliament in Canada. Um, you are on the side against this motion, Ben on America. I thought Canadians were supposed to be our friends. We are your friends. And it's the job of a best friend to say, you know what? You need to raise your game a little bit. <laughs> Thank you, Krista Freeland. And, uh, and do you know your partner's name? I do know my partner's name. I love my partner and his work, and he is the brilliant Jim Rickards. Ladies and gentlemen, Jim Rickards. 
Jim, you're also arguing against the motion, decline us be damned, bet on America. Um, you're a portfolio manager. You're a lawyer. You're an economist. You've written some bestsellers, including The Death of Money. This is interesting. You have also advised the U.S. intelligence community and the Department of Defense on capital markets and strategy and defense of those. Are they as worried as you are about our financial future? Uh, They are worried about it, but unfortunately, they have very little to say about it. That's left to the Treasury and the Fed. So the people who are most concerned are at least involved. Well, that doesn't work out very well. But I guess we'll hear more about that as the debate continues. Ladies and gentlemen, these are our debaters. Let's move on to round one. Round one, opening statements by each debater in turn. They are uninterrupted. Our motion is, declinists be damned, bet on America, and here to speak in support of this motion, Joe Jaffe. He is publisher and editor of Die Zeit and author of The Myth of America's Decline, Politics, Economics, and Half a Century of False Prophecies. Ladies and gentlemen, Joseph Jaffe. America, as it has been, is the oldest story in the book. Even right after the revolution, the famous French statesman, Talleyrand dumped on the United States by saying it's a country with 30 religions and just one dish to eat. (laughs) Decline is not a real serious diagnosis. It's repertoire theater. Today we are in decline 5.0. We've had four before. And various candidates, Russia, Europe, Japan, uh, were about to overtake the United States, leave the United States in the dust, and now it is, the Soviet, uh, it is China. These prophecies did not pan out because they confused the headlines with the long-term trend. Exhibit A for every declinist is the economy. But here's the surprise. For the last 50 years, the U.S. share of the global uh, GDP has held steady around 25-26%. In the same period, the EU lost 11 points, Japan more than two, and Russia has cut its share in half. So who's declining, if I may ask? Let's put it this way. If Rome, starting, say, 2,000 years ago, had been declining at America's rate, we would be debating in Latin today. (laughs) Now, a second measure of power is military spending. U.S. is in a league of its own. The short answer is that the U.S. Navy is as large as the next 12 navies together. So only the United States can intervene anywhere in the world. Nobody else can. Now, that's a snapshot, our opponents will say. Uh, The others will inevitably overtake the United States because they're they're rising. You mean Russia with an economy one-tenth the size of America? Or China, which has a per capita one-eighth of America? China, China, you will say, look, they came from nowhere, they're now number two. But the days of China's spectacular growth are over. But let's think about future. What drives growth in the future? Well, factor number one is higher education. Did you know that of the top 20 universities, 17 are American? The first Chinese university shows up in the 100 to 150 bracket. But the greatest, the greatest American advantage is the power of immigration. Because it keeps the country not only young, but also from freezing up. Immigration breaks privilege and fuels competition. The newcomers keep bringing ambition and skill, as they have done for for 300 years. Try to become a Chinese. How do you become a Chinese? It's easy to become an American. Here, I'll tell you how to do it. 
I celebrated Fourth of July and Thanksgiving. I joined the PTA and coached Little League. I stopped smoking. I buy an SUV and shop till I drop. <laughs> the serious point is anybody can sign up to the American creed. So, to repeat, if Rome had been going downhill at the American rate, we would be debating in Latin today, like gratias vobis et salve, which means thank you and see you in the next round. <laughs> thank you. Thank you, Joe Jaffe. And that's our motion, Declinists Be Damned, Bet on America. And here to argue against the motion, Krista Freeland. She is a member of the Canadian Parliament and author of the book Plutocrats, The Rise of the New Global Super-Rich and the Fall of Everyone Else. Ladies and gentlemen, Krista Freeland. So why do we believe, and, and we say this with real sadness, um, why do we fear that America is in decline? The first evidence is what's happening internationally. In the Cold War era, and then following the collapse of the Soviet Union, we lived in a time of what you might call the Pax Americana. And as a Canadian, it was a great time. It wasn't just a great time for America. It was a great time for the world. Unfortunately, we're seeing America pulling back. We're seeing that on big issues like climate change. Where is American global leadership on this issue? We're seeing it in a place like Syria. There was a red line. The red line was crossed. What happened? And we're seeing it most acutely, and this is something I'm just so terrified about, in Russia and Ukraine. Joe pointed out, and he is quite right, the Russian economy is one-tenth the size of the U.S. economy. So how come Putin is getting away with redrawing the borders of Europe? And this is bad news for the whole world, because superpowers, as Bob Kagan wrote very brilliantly, are not allowed to retire. Second argument is your political gridlock. I think we would all agree that the genius of America is the ingenuity of the American people. It's what each individual person does, and that is fantastic. But I think we would all also agree there's a role from time to time for government to do a few things. Joe talked movingly, and I totally agree with him, about immigration being such a strength of America. You guys have a few problems to sort out with that, and you're going to need government to act, and I don't see government acting. Your government is ineffective at a time when you need effective government for yourselves and for the world. Finally, and this to me is the biggest problem, this is the thing that really keeps me up at night. Democratic capitalism, that great U.S. model, isn't working the way it used to and the way it is supposed to. For the past 30 years, the U.S. middle class has been hammered. Wages have stagnated, and wealth has stagnated or declined, while the people at the very top have seen their incomes and wealth skyrocket. That is a huge problem for the United States, because the U.S. promise, as Joe so eloquently said, is if you work hard and play by the rules, you can succeed. But that is not what the U.S. economy today is delivering. Now, you may say to me, well, but isn't this a problem that all the Western industrialized economies face to some degree or another? 
And I would agree with you. It's a thing we're worried about in Canada, too. But this income inequality is worse in the U.S. than in any other Western industrialized country. Your elites are doing better, and your middle class is more hammered. That's a problem. Krista Freeland, I'm sorry your time is up, but thank you very much. I'm John Donvan, and you're listening to Intelligence Squared U.S., Oxford-style debating on American shores. Stay with us. Hello, I'm John Donvan, moderator of Intelligence Squared U.S. Join us online at iq2us.org to vote on the motion and keep the debate going. And a reminder of what's going on. We are halfway through the opening round of this Intelligence Squared U.S. debate. I'm John Donvan. We have four debaters, two teams of two, arguing it out over this motion, Declinists Be Damned, Bet on America. You have heard from the first two debaters and now on to the third. Here to argue in support of the motion, Declinists Be Damned, Bet on America, Peter Zion. He's a geopolitical strategist, and he is author of the book, The Accidental Superpower, The Next Generation of American Preeminence, and The Coming Global Disorder. Ladies and gentlemen, Peter Zion. I considered declining this invitation when it was made. Uh, NPR intellectual is not really my crowd. I live in Texas. But then I realized that the word damn was in the proposition, so I'd be allowed to swear on NPR. So here I am. But enough about my hopes and dreams. Let's talk about you. Where are my boomers? People born 1946 to 1964. Come on, hands up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. You guys are a freaking army. You're the largest generation you, we you, have you ever need, had. You need to tell the radio audience how many people put hands up approximately. Oh, it's like a third of the total. Okay. We got a lot of youngsters up top. So, you know, it's, it's a swarm. Most of your consumption, however, is behind you. Your kids have left home. The house is paid for. You're at the height of your tax-paying experience. Today's budget battles, that's the start of our debate about figuring out not how to pay things with your money, but about how to pay your retirement without your money, which sucks for this next group. Where am I, Gen Y? Or excuse me, Gen X, Gen X. Yeah, we're the smallest generation as a percentage of the population. So very soon it will be up to us, all 11 of us, (laughs) to pay for 75 million retiring boomers. Taxes are going to be awful. But it's not quite as bad as it seems. There's actually a boomer class globally that, relative to the population, is about 20% larger than it is here. So, yes, we do have a boomer donkulous tax bill just around the corner, but it's actually considerably less than what everyone else is going to have to pay. So, you know, not exactly hope, but, you know, shocked and Freud. And then there's Gen Y. Gen Y folks, you know, the millennials. Your age group does the consuming. Kids, houses, cars, pot. It's spend, spend, spend. Your purchases, especially the pot, by the way, are why the economy is doing so well right now. Because of you, because of your bulk, the United States is going to be the youngest developed country in the world in just four years, younger than China. Now, as an Xer, it really pains me to say this, but you Gen Wires are... Special. (laughs) Because there are no German wise, or Japanese wise, or Italian or Canadian wise. It's as if the entire developed world forgot how to have kids around 1975. This combination, a bigger global boomer cadre, but no global Y cadre, spells disaster. 
Consumer activity and tax income will shrink every single year. Retiree costs will increase every single year. It's a deflationary spiral with no escape, and it will happen everywhere but the United States. There are many other reasons similarly inevitable why the U.S. will remain the global superpower well beyond our lifetimes. The shale revolution has pushed pushed North America within 2 million barrels per day of outright oil independence, and we now have the lowest electricity prices non-subsidized in the world. The U.S. is home to nearly half of global consumer spending, double that of the combined BRICS. The Navy has a 10 to 1 ratio conservatively in terms of global firepower, and the commitment of that imbalance to the global commons is why trade works. So when you think of the U.S., it doesn't matter if you feel a swelling pride a loathing, or a resigned sigh. Your conclusion is as singular as it is clear. Bet on America. Declinus be damned. Thank you, Peter Zahn. And that is our motion, Declinus be damned, bet on America. And here to argue against that motion, Jim Rickards. He is chief global strategist at the West Shore Funds and author of The Death of Money, The Coming Collapse of the International Monetary System. Ladies and gentlemen, Jim Rickards. The most important question in economics and geopolitics today is, are capital markets and is our society a complex system? Um, if it's not, then uh, maybe our opponents win. But if, but if it is, uh, we have serious problems ahead of us. What do I mean by a complex system? A lot of people think, you know, your watch might be complex. It's the technical name. It's complicated. It's not complex. A complex system has the following characteristics. It has diversity, lots of points of view. It has interconnectedness. Um, it has communication. So you're, you're communicating, you're transacting, you're interacting with each other. And finally, it has adaptability, which is other people's behavior affects your behavior. So let's just take, let's just do a thought experiment. We'll use the, use the audience. We'll lose all, use all of you. Uh, there are about 500 people in the room. Let's say that right now a third of you got up, screamed, and ran out the door as fast as you could. What would the rest of you do? I dare say you'd be right behind them. You wouldn't know what was up. You would say, well, they know something I don't. The place is on fire. There's a bomb scare. I'm not going to stay around to find out. I'm right behind them. Let's say a third of you were particularly nervous. You're more nervous than the rest. For you, it would only take 20 people jumping up, and you would be right behind them. And let's say there are 20 of us who are uh, very, very much on edge. And for you, it would only take five people standing up, screaming, running out the door, and you would, right, you would be right behind them. How many people do I have to persuade to empty the whole place, to cause a panic, to cause this whole place to run out the door? The answer is five people. Because if five people run, 20 more will run. If 20 run, a third run. If a third run, the whole audience runs. That's a cascade. That's how complex systems operate. It takes very small changes in initial conditions to completely, catastrophically change the outcome. What kind of complex system do we have right now? Um, We have got more debt than we had in 2008. You all remember 2008, too big to fail? Well, the biggest banks in 2008 are bigger today. They have a larger concentration of their total financial assets. Derivatives books are bigger. Uh, In a complex system, when you increase the scale, and that's what I'm talking about, the risk goes up exponentially. So let's say I increase the uh, derivatives books. I triple the derivatives books of the major banks. How much did the risk go up? The correct answer in a complex system, it's an exponential function. If you triple the scale of the system, you've increased the risk by a factor of 100 or 1,000. You've made it much more dangerous. And I just showed you how it takes a very small change in the initial conditions to cause the entire thing to collapse. So that's the system we're living in now. We're right on the knife edge. 
Very small perturbations, very small changes could cause a catastrophic financial collapse. And I'm not talking about the kind of long, slow, gradual decline, uh, but what we're talking about in the world today, we're not talking about an amphibious invasion on the beaches of uh, New Jersey or Long Island. Uh, Admiral Rogers, who's the head of the United States Cyber Command, said the next war will be in cyberspace. And my only quibble with Admiral Rogers is that w that war has already begun. We're in, a, we're in a cyber war with Russia right now. Uh, in 2010, it was disclosed Russian intelligence had penetrated the NASDAQ market operating system. Uh, this is the military intelligence unit getting in the operating system of our second largest stock market. In August 2013, NASDAQ was closed for half a day. We've never been offered uh, explanations to what happened there. I want to suggest if the explanation was an attack, there would be good reason not to tell us because it would panic investors, start those people running out of the theater exactly as I described. We're creating a dynamically unstable system. It would take very little to cause it to collapse almost overnight. Thank you. Thank you, Jim Rickards. And that concludes round one of this Intelligence Squared U.S. debate, where our motion is declinists be damned, bet on America. Now on to round two. Round two is where the debaters address one another directly and also take questions from me and you in the audience. Our motion is this, declinists be damned, bet on America. We have two teams arguing for and against. The team arguing for, Joe Jaffe and Peter Zion, have, have said we've heard this whole declinist thing before. Uh, it always turns out to be exaggerated that, in fact, the long-term trends are very much in America's favor. Uh, strongest uh, GDP. Its military is supreme without any near rival. We're on our way to energy independence. The dollar is supreme. That things just couldn't really be better. A very optimistic scenario. The team arguing against the most uh, Krista Freeland and Jim Rickards, much more pessimistic, while saying that they argue that with sadness, but that to point out the flaws in the system are, is in itself an act of patriotism. But they say that the system is very fragile, that uh, we're at a state where um, government is essentially ineffective at a time when capitalism is not working the way it's supposed to be and the middle class is losing out with no way to get out of the, uh, the rut that it's in, that there's this fragility uh, that over time is going to undermine uh, much of the American dream. And I want to take that side that argument to the side arguing for the motion. To get specific, Peter Zion, your opponent, Christopher Freeland, argued that the American middle class is really just in a corner uh, that it can't get out of. What's your response to that? Well, actually, the data doesn't support that, but uh, it's my debate partner that is in command of the data on that topic, so I think I'll, I'll punt that one to the right here. Okay, Joe Joffin, do you want to take that? Well, <clears throat> we've heard this, this number about the middle, declining middle class for a long time. I don't think it has anything to do with the issue whether the country as such is declining. But let's just go with the issue of equality. The way to measure inequality is not by anecdote, but by something called the Gini coefficient, which measures inequality around the world. And lo and behold, once you take into account taxes and transfers, the United States has a Gini coefficient of 0.37. Uh, total inequality will be one, zero will be no inequality. The great state of Canada has a, has a Gini coefficient of 0.34. The great state of Germany, the model of the welfare state, 0.35. So if you want to talk inequality, talk the right numbers. Do not talk anecdotes and repeat what you read every other day in the New York Times. John, Christopher, John, uh, uh, okay. 
Let me bring it. Well, I just, just to address the. Uh, Do you want to see it? Okay. Yeah. Just to address the, the Gini uh, coefficient uh, point, Joe said that that was after you take into account taxes and transfers. It's a little like saying it's a nice day except for the three feet of snow. Uh, the problem is if you, if you include taxes and transfers, this is uh, moving very strongly in the direction of a government-run society. So, yes, with tax and transfers, without them, without them, our Gini coefficient is worse than Mexico. And I grew up, Mexico was the classic oligarchical society. But not taking into account taxes and transfers, we're actually worse than Mexico. That's Jim, how you can't do both. Exactly you can't right. argue both sides. Either you talk inequality or inequality. If inequality comes down by government action, isn't that what the welfare state is all about? No, let me... Christopher Freeland. So... It is a truth universally acknowledged, including, I am sure, by you, Joe, that what we have seen over the past 30 years is an increase in inequality in the United States, an increase, a huge increase in the share of income taken by the top 1% and 0.1%, and a stagnation of incomes and wealth of people in the middle. It is a problem for everybody. We collectively, I mean, I'm very passionate about this because figuring out how to make the technology revolution 21st century economy work for the middle class, I think, is the biggest challenge of our generation. And for the Western world to figure it out, we're going to need a strong American lead, and we're going to need America to accept that this is okay. a problem. Okay, let's let Joe Jaffe respond. I, I think that the issue of equality is, is, a moral, is an interesting moral issue, but it has nothing to do with what we're debating about today. We are talking about whether the United States is declining or not relative to other nations. Well, I think, that, I, think the, I think the language of the motion does not say relative to other nations. You can make the argument that the motion includes relative to other nations, and that's fair, and they can convince the audience that it means something else. It's, it's up to you to be no, persuasive no one, on no, that. No one, no one in the British Empire, the Roman Empire, the French Empire ever said, we're going to have a good deal for everybody. What they said is there's rich and poor, elites and everybody else. That was the deal. So, yes, we have these other things going for us. But fairness... Income distribution, that is the heart of the American dream. When you take that away, there's nothing left of America. We are different. Peter Zayn. I'll go now, yeah. I'm sorry, but how much better than the top slot in absolute and relative term do you have to be to win this debate? I mean, the euro is dissolving as a global currency. $3 trillion has flooded the United States in the last five years. Skilled migration is at all-time highs. By every measure that matters, the United States has not fallen behind. It's pulling ahead. Peter, I'll, tell you, I'll tell you where America's number Jim one. Records. We're, we're number one in terms of incarceration. The percentage of people behind bars in the United States is double. The, this is just developed countries. We're not talking about Angola here. Just the OECD members, the developed countries. America's number one. Number two are our friends Chile, who have less than half that rate. Turkey's number 10. Remember Midnight Express? They only have one quarter of the incarceration rate. So that's, we are number one in incarceration, which is a major dysfunction in society. Turkey has more journalists in jail than any other country in the world that I know of. Let me just say something about decline. I think decline is a relative issue. It's not an absolute issue. I am taller or, or fatter or thinner than you are. Just to say that I'm tall or fat or thin is not a very interesting issue unless I compare myself to others. Well, let's take a moment, let's take a moment for Christopher Freeland to respond to that. Is it a relative issue? You said in your opening statement you're comparing it to what we used to be at some point in time. But why, why is their measurement not valid relative to other nations? A couple of reasons. First of all, I think America rightly measures itself not against Turkey 
Is America supposed to be proud it imprisons fewer journalists than We have Turkey? none imprisoned No, no, hey, Joe, I didn't interrupt you. Um, so that's really not good enough. America really is the city on the hill, and America needs to measure itself against itself. I'm arguing decline on two main points. One, America is failing Americans. And this is not about some, you know, namby-pamby, NPR-ish, you know, ethical, moral point. This is about saying the middle class is falling behind. And you talked, Peter, you know, movingly about Generation Y. If we talk to the Generation Y people here... There are no good jobs for Generation Y. Let's let and Peter, that is the problem. Let's let Peter Zine read. Generation you, Y knows it. Before you do that, Peter, I just want to point out that in celebration of our 100th anniversary, NPR has some executives in the audience joining us tonight. <laughs> <laughs> and they're thinking things over. Peter Zine. <laughs> let's talk about America's past. You want to make this a relative to the United States past rather than the rest of the world? That's fine. Andrew Jackson's wife was accused in a live debate of being a prostitute while she was first lady. Gridlock is normal. John Adams was accused of being a hermaphrodite without any of the positive characteristics, whatever the hell that means. Gen Y doesn't have opportunities. Let's take it from the economic side. Look back to the 1800s. We had an empty continent that anyone for the price of a Kia car could load up the family, head west, take land that we stole from the natives, and be exporting grain for hard currency to war-torn Europe within six months. That will never happen again because there's not another continent. I'm glad. Records. I'm, I'm, records, please. I'm glad. I'm glad Peter brought up Andrew Jackson. He's one of my favorite presidents for two reasons. Number one, he abolished the Central Bank of the United States. We went for about 80 years with no central bank, thanks to Andrew Jackson. But the other thing he did, he paid off the national debt. I don't mean he ran a budget surplus. I mean there was no national debt zero at the end of Jackson, the Jackson administration. Today, our debt is over 100 percent of GDP. Now, the last time it was that high, and this is sort of Joe's point. Um, you know, it was the end of uh, World War II, and Paul Krugman says, hey, we had 100% before, no big deal, we got out of it. Yeah, but we won World War II. We had 60% of global GDP. Today, we're declining on a relative basis. Uh, we have debt. We didn't get anything for the money. Uh, they, they have monetized the debt. There is no way out. The, um, the, when this collapses, they'll be, they won't okay, be able me, to do it again. Let me they take that to Joe trillion, Joffe. Joe Joffe, it's a sort of a ticking time bomb scenario the on the economy. R word. He used relative decline. <laughs> And relatively we'll use, we'll use both. By the way, let me tell you, of course the United States had 50% of GDP in 45. The rest of the world was destroyed. The point is, its share has held steady for the last 50 years. But let me get, get away from this. Let me talk about how, in spite of this so-called so gridlock and, and, and ungovernability, how this country got out of the Great Recession. It flooded the country with liquidity... It went into heavy deficit, and it recapitalized the banks, as a result of which this country is now growing at uh, 3 to 4%. What about the Europeans? I'm sorry to compare the United States to other countries, but where are they in terms of growth now? I'm John Donvan, and this is Intelligence Squared U.S., Oxford-style debating on American shores.
I want to remind you we're in the question and answer section of this Intelligence Squared U.S. debate. I'm John Donvan, your moderator. We have four debaters, two teams of two, debating this motion, Declinists Be Damned, Bet on America. Okay, I'm going to go to the audience now for some questions, and how this works is if you raise your hand and then be very, very terse in asking a question that keeps us on point. And I'm going to go right in the center here. Hi, I'm Zachary Carabell. This is a question for Mr. Rickards. So let's say I agreed with you that there is a high probability of a global synchronous economic collapse, which I don't. But if I did, in what way is that an indictment of or proof of the statement that America is in decline rather than a separate debate about the tenuousness of the global financial system? Well, it's like a, a school bus full of children uh, heading for a cliff and, and uh, America's the driver. In other words, uh, you know, America's so much better off than the rest of the bus. The school bus driver is so much more mature than the kids in the back. But if you're going over the cliff, you're all going, going together. I don't dispute that, if, that when the dollar collapses, the other currencies will be right behind it. But, you know, the USA is missing in action in uh, Brussels where the, uh, where the Greek um, EU negotiation was going on. There's no leadership from the United States. We are the largest economy in the world. We are the leader. We control the global financial system through the Federal Reserve. We're the ones driving the bus over the cliff. Joe Jaffe. Let, let me again try to bring this back to, to the issue of the debate. You can't prove the point about decline versus non-decline by anecdotes. Now, let's take the so-called withdrawal of the United States from the global arena. And it's true that under Obama, this country has withdrawn, whether it's Minsk or Brussels or Pinsk or whatever. The problem is here with these arguments is that we can or you can vote Obama out of power in two years and this may change. The kind of long-term forces we keep talking about that Europe suffers under, China suffers under, cannot be decided or changed by vote. And that's why I plead with you, anecdotes prove nothing. They just make good debating Joe, points. Joe, I'm talking I took, about I took, Joe, trends I, and forces. I took pains. I took pains to avoid anecdote. I used science. It's a hypersynchronous icing model. It's complexity theory. We probably don't have time for the equations, but I was not using anecdotal evidence. I was telling you how collapses happen. Sir, in the back there. Thanks. Uh, my name is Nick. The four side described many of uh, America's advantages. So a question for both sides. How are those advantages dependent or not dependent on our economic might that the other side argued quite heavily against? Some of the points I made have nothing to do with economic might. The power of immigration I'm talking about has nothing to do with it. The fact, what does it mean for somebody like Sergey Brin to start Google? It means, it means the freedom to dream, invent, and invest. It means rule of law. It means no barriers to competition. That's why this Russian-born kid did Google here and not in St. Petersburg. It sounds like an anecdote to me, though. <laughs> the anecdote made a very important point, but I talk about... <laughs> When I talk about the rule of law, that's not an anecdote. Okay, let's let the other side respond. Christopher that, that was an excellent question, um, and it gives me a chance to make a point that I really wanted to make. I agree. Those are tremendous strengths, and I think the 21st century is going to be won by countries that are open to immigration and are feminist and therefore are able to have demographic growth. What I'm worried about with the U.S., is when it comes to immigration, 
you guys are divided and you're fighting about it. That, to me, is not a country which is united around what I, I believe Joe correctly points out to be the virtues of immigration. I see the American debate and, you know, frankly, you know, the, the American paralysis, gridlock, if you will, around immigration as a measure of decline. Okay, right down in front here. Uh, hi, this is for the uh, pro team. Um, it seems to me, and I, and I could be wrong, that many of the world indexes today still rank the U.S. as um, 23rd or below most industrialized nations in, in pretty significant markers of quality of life, including <clears throat> infant mortality, homicide, which in the USBI, for example, is about 1% higher than Syria right now, uh, literacy, health care markers, science and math test rankings. So my question to you is how do you factor that in to the argument that the U.S. in large measure uh, has not been in a state of decline, if not disgrace, for some time? Look, you want Judge disgrace, Jaffe. you can have disgrace. But, um, but you, you can have the disgrace. I mean, the, some of the numbers that you mentioned are right. Uh, homicide, by the way, homicide in this country has gone down enormously since the 90s, but that won't convince, convince you. Infant, infant mortality, high, we can explain it, but that's not the point. The point is, what kind of standards are you setting here? Why isn't that the point? But why isn't that the point? And you need to explain that. No, I don't. You can't see, simply assert what you no. say are the standards here. You need to explain no. to her why her standards don't have you're relevance. You're taking sides. I'm sorry, you're taking sides. No, no, sides. I'm asking to preserve the integrity of the debate here. She no, asked a fair no. question, and I, I'm asking you to explain. And rather than dismiss her standards, no. please tell her why her standards are not I was relevant. Going to talk about it, but you interrupted me. All right. <laughs> you're true. I, that's true, I did. And, and you keep interrupting us. Anyway. It's my Look, job. I can set any kind of standard which no country, no person can live up to. Does the United States have flaws? Of course it has flaws. But it has nothing to do, this, this is not an issue, this is a moral issue which this country must fight and wrestle with, but it has nothing to do with the issue of decline or not decline. This is moral failure, but not a power failure. And we are talking about decline is about power and not about going to church. Okay, you did answer my question. Sir, in the back there. Uh, yes, my name is Cliff, and this question is for both sides. The United States was founded as a uh, free market capitalist society. We were founded as a constitutional republic. How do you see how uh, today, from over the last 300 years, have we moved closer to, that, to those ideals, or have we moved further away? And how does that answer the question as to whether we're in decline or not. I'll let this side There's, go first. Uh, I was, I was saying this left. There are no markets left. What, what you have is uh, theater, but the Fed is manipulating the price of money. Money is the common denominator for every market. So when you suppress it and keep it at zero, by the way, what's the impact of that? When you keep interest rates at zero, so let's say some of you have savings accounts or my, you know, my mom has some money in the bank, they get zero. The other side of that trade is if you're J.P. Morgan and you're Jamie Dimon, you're paying zero for your cost of funds. You can go out and buy some two, uh, 10-year notes and leverage it up 10 to 1, make 20% returns on equity. That is a $400 billion per year wealth transfer from everyday Americans to the power elite to the richest bankers. That's America today. So we have no markets left. Other side? Peter Zane. 
Uh, the Founding Fathers developed a political system for a largely agrarian coastal community. Uh, the fact that we have evolved so much from that and still have the oldest constitution in the world, I think, is a sign of incredible flexibility and strength on our part, and God forbid me for saying this, even on the part of our political leadership. Um, the space that we have is a big part of that on both sides. It also speaks to the question on standards. We're the least urbanized of the industrialized countries. So everything that we do for a city that we then have to do for a constellation of a thousand small towns that still have autonomy, that is a degree of political self-determination that doesn't exist in any other political system on the planet. And I think that's admirable. Judge Jaffe. I mean, when we talk about moral turpitude or failure, what, how would we rate what followed the crime of slavery in the 60s? When I was in college when we took over City Hall for civil rights issues and something like that. <laughs> Hasn't this country done a hell of a good job in, with the Civil Rights Act, the Voting Rights Act, bringing previously downtrodden and discriminated people up to be, turn them into real citizens? Is that not a kind of moral achievement, or, or what is this? Jim Rickards. But the, the proposition is, is America in decline? And Joe's recitation of some of the great achievements of American history, and there's no disputing them, shows you know, where are the accomplishments that the 60s were great. The, you know, many, many th great things happened in, uh, in American history. Where are they today? That's precisely the point. Those best days, those highest aspirations, America is a city on a hill. That's what's behind us. That's why we're in decline. We don't have anything to compare to that. And that concludes round two of this Intelligence Squared U.S. debate, where our motion is declinists be damned, bet on America. On to round three. Closing statements by each debater in turn. Our motion is this. Declinists be damned. Bet on America. And here to summarize his position in support of the motion, Joe Jaffe, senior fellow at Stanford and uh, editor-publisher of Device. A lot of our debate reminds me of the story about Socrates being asked in the Agora, Socrates, how is your wife? And he says, compared to what? <laughs> we have argued in this country from decline 1.0 to decline 5.0, is there somebody who is better, more agile, more virile, more ambitious, more skillful, and will that nation overtake the United States? And if you look at the economy, the way this economy has rebounded, while no other economy after the crash has rebounded, you must kind of say there must be something here, and we can explain it why the country does better in those respects. And if you look at the relative decline of Japan, Europe, the United States in terms of global GDP, that gives you a sense that, again, transcends individual stories and tells you something about trends. And that's why I think the uh, decline is a good pedagogical device. And if you notice, half the time we spoke about how America should get better, which is a very good thing to talk about. But the issue is whether this country is declining vis-a-vis -vis others. And there, you have no data whatsoever that makes the point. In fact, the opposite is true. Thank you, Joe Jaffe. The motion is declinists be damned, bet on America. And here to summarize his position against the motion, Jim Rickards, chief global strategist at the West Shore Funds. I'm not sure how many people in the audience uh, walked to the theater tonight. It's, uh, it's a New York venue, so I dare say uh, some of you walked. 
And I dare say that your walk to the theater tonight was completely uh, undisturbed, unperturbed, uh, and that's a great thing about New York. But if this event were being held in Brooklyn, where my my daughter happens to live, uh, and if some of you lived in Bed-Stuy, I dare say you might not have made it uh, quite so comfortably as the people here on the Upper West Side. You might have had handcuffs put on you. You might have been thrown in a van, taken away, taken to a precinct, and strip-searched for nothing. No probable cause, completely unconstitutional. So that's what's going on in the city of New York. Now, also in the city of New York, a few miles away, you have the most corrupt enterprise in history called J.P. Morgan and its fellow banks, Citibank, Goldman Sachs, Morgan Stanley. These companies have paid over $30 billion in fines, penalties, restitution, and compliance costs. Not one single executive of any of these banks has gone to jail. Not one has even been indicted. There hasn't been a trial. And as long as America is a country where innocent bystanders are getting smashed and stripped and bankers are being left alone, America is a country in decline. Thank you, Jim Rickards. That is the motion, Declinus be damned, bet on America. And here to summarize his position supporting the motion, Peter Zion, geopolitical strategist and author of The Accidental Superpower. Never underestimate the ability of the Americans to panic, learn the wrong lessons, and wreck everything. Sputnik, beeping aluminum grapefruit. We were ahead in metallurgy, electronics, even rocketry. Sputnik fell out of the sky three weeks later. Vanguard 1, our first satellite, still up there. As a result of our panic attack, we refabricated everything about our educational and scientific system. We coasted on that for three, I'm sorry, for two generations. As part of our overreaction to Vietnam, we have crossed what was then information technology with weapons, so we would never have to fight at arm's length again. We got everything from cruise missiles to cell phones out of that. Japanophobia. We became convinced in the 1980s that we had lost our position as a superpower, not would, had, to a country with less usable land than Massachusetts, who we were occupying at the time. (laughs) Wall Street forced a corporate reckoning that generated the biggest burst of capital that we've ever seen. We are reliably our own worst enemy, but we are also reliably our own best motivators. Look at the aftermath of 9-11. We now have pre-positioned military forces on either side of every significant trade and energy artery on the planet. We are one waking up on the wrong side of bed away from perhaps precipitating the worst economic and military catastrophe this world has ever known, and it's one that we would be largely immune to. So, declinists be damned. Bet against America if you will, but do so at your own risk. The record just doesn't hold. I urge you to support the motion. Thank you, Peter Zion. That is the motion, Declinus be damned, bet on America. And here to summarize her position supporting this motion, Krista Freeland, Member of Parliament in Canada. My mother was born in a displaced persons camp, which you would probably call a refugee camp in Germany. Her family was fleeing the Soviet invasion of Ukraine during the Second World War. And so it was a particular personal pleasure for me to start my career as a reporter in 1991 in the Soviet Union as it fell apart. And I thought then that that was going to be the beginning of an era when even more people around the world could enjoy capitalist democracy this thing created by many countries, but particularly represented and led by the United States. 
Instead, where are we today? Today, as we speak, an irredentist Russia has actually annexed, made part of Russia part of Ukraine. And instead of opposing this, some of these great rising democracies, Brazil, India, are actually on Russia's side because they don't want the U.S. to be a bully in the world. So the world needs an America which is strong enough to assume moral and political leadership, whose middle class feels it has so many opportunities at home, it has the strength and the will to share those with the world. If we can't hang together like that, surely we will hang singly. Denial is not a strategy. So please vote for us and then go out and vote in 2016 and start changing your country's course. It's really important for all of us. Thank you, Your time is up. And that concludes our closing statements. All right. The results are all in. The motion is this, declinists be damned, bet on America. You have voted twice, once before the arguments and once again after the arguments, and the team that wins is the team that has changed its position the most in percentage point terms. Let's look at the first vote. The result was 49% agreed with the motion, bet on America. 23% were against. 28% were undecided. So those are the first results. Again, it's the team whose numbers move the most in percentage point terms. Let's look now at the second vote. The team arguing for the motion, the second vote, they got 64%. They went from 49 to 64%. That picked up 15 percentage points. That's the number to beat. Let's see the team arguing against. They went from 23% to 27%, only four percentage points. Not enough. The team arguing for the motion, decline us be damned. Bet on America has won this debate. Our congratulations to them. Thank you from me, John Donvan, and Intelligence Squared U.S. We'll see you next time. This Intelligence Squared U.S. debate was held in front of a live audience at the Kaufman Music Center in New York City. Dana Wolf is our executive producer. Robert Rosencrantz is chairman. Maureen McMurray, Taylor Quimby, and Rob Christensen are the radio producers. Damon Whittemore is the audio engineer. Clea Chang is director of production. Chris Kamakawa is our researcher. And I'm your host, John Donvan. For more information or to purchase tickets to future events, visit iq2us.org. Crucial support of the Intelligence Squared U.S. debate series comes from its generous members and donors, with a special thank you to the Rosencrantz Foundation, dedicated to promoting fresh and effective intellectual perspectives and encouraging the highest levels of achievement and innovation in public policy, higher education, and the arts. Additional support comes from Christopher W. Johnson, Profit Capital Asset Management, the Georgie Orstrom Jr. Foundation, Paul E. Singer, David A. Coulter, and Mortimer D. A. Sackler. Intelligence Squared is distributed by NPR.